evening. It is my distinct pleasure to be here. And I very much appreciate the opportunity to speak, the opportunity uh, to be asked to speak. I appreciate the men who have gone before me and their message as well, and all those, of course, who will come after. And we look forward to their presentations. I invite your attention to the book of Hebrews chapter 5. In Hebrews 5 verse 11, this will be our text. The Bible there says, Of whom we have much to say, that is about Jesus and the context, and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And after tackling some very weighty matters in the book of Hebrews up to this point, the writer stops and he begins upbraiding his audience because he senses that they've grown dull or lazy and sluggish of hearing. They had a big problem. They had an attitude problem. They had an effort problem that they were putting in. And it was such a problem that it was affecting their spiritual growth to the point that they had regressed back to Christian infancy and needed to be taught again the basic principles of the oracles of God. The writer, knowing where they started, knowing the factors surrounding them, was saying to them, you should be further ahead than where you are now. You should be more mature Christians than what you are currently. And I think we can gather from this statement that the, uh, that the writer of the Hebrew letter had expectations for where these Christians needed to be. And if we are not careful, I believe that we too can encounter the same pitfalls as these brethren did so long ago. And for a little while this evening, I want to talk about expectations that we should set for our Christian maturation. Now such a conversation is difficult. It's often awkward, and frankly, it's often about someone else. But for a little while tonight, let's use self-examination. Ask yourself, look inside, ask yourself, how have I matured in Christ? When you look at yourself from the moment that you were baptized up till this point in time, can you tell that there has been spiritual growth that has taken place in your life? Have you set any expectations for where you want to be as a Christian? And have you met any of those that you have set? Growth is essential. Growth is not an option. However, growth in Christ is not immediately obtained, nor is it easily and simply captured. And we're going to notice four factors that I believe the Hebrew writer shows will have an impact on how we grow in Christ and the expectations that we should have for ourselves. Number one tonight is that of time. Time is a factor. And the very first thing the Hebrew writer points out is that enough time had elapsed that they should have been further ahead than where they were. And although we don't know the specifics of the audience, we can assume that a maximum of 20 to 30 years perhaps had elapsed if the letter was written in the early 60s, but there's a strong possibility it was even less time than uh, than that. And the writer says, by this time, with this amount of time under your belt, 
You ought to be teachers yourselves. This should tell us with time comes the responsibility to grow and be at a stage to pass on what we have learned to those who are younger in faith and possibly even those who are younger in age. Now, is time the only factor? No, it's not. Is age the only factor? No, it isn't. There is no milestone, age, or amount of time served that automatically qualifies someone to be mature. Someone can be old and be a babe in Christ just as much as a young person can be a mature Christian. However, the better question to ask is this. When you look at all the time that has elapsed since that moment that you were plunged into the water, how much progress have you made compared to where you used to be? How much progress have you made from where you started? When you look at your journey, do you describe it in inches or miles from where you began? And sadly, there are brothers and sisters in the church that have been going, that have been uh, attending for 20 or 30 or 40 or however many more years beyond that, that time has elapsed for them, just like the Hebrew brethren, but they haven't grown. They haven't grown in wisdom or in understanding any more than when they were baptized in their teens. Those who are older, both in age and in faith, are supposed to be a spiritual resource to the younger. In Titus chapter 2, verse 1, it says, But as for you, that is to Titus, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love and patience, that the older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanders, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. That they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, and so on and so forth. But what about those who are younger in age? What about those who are just starting their Christian journey? What are they supposed to do? Just wait around? Are they just supposed to uh, let the clock tick by? Or be old enough so that they can draw a pension? No. 1 Timothy 4 verse 12 tells us, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word and conduct and love and spirit and faith. In purity. Yes, time is a factor in our maturation process. And if you are a babe in Christ, if you are just starting your Christian life, be patient with yourself. Grow into a stronger Christian and realize that that takes time. In 1 Peter 2 verse 2, it says, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. There is no shame in being a babe in Christ. After all, we were all babes in Christ, weren't we? We all had a starting point. We all were young in the faith. We were all immature and didn't know a whole lot at the very beginning. But you can't stay there. You can't remain in this state. You have to have a desire for the milk of the words so that you can grow. That takes time. That takes work. It does not happen overnight. You are not born into it. You do not have a propensity for it through your genetic makeup. And it should be that those who have been Christians for longer periods of time have grown beyond being babes in Christ and be more mature than who they used to be. And when you look at your life, does that describe you? But that's not the only factor to consider. Let's talk about number two, which is environment. The environment that a person has around them can have a great impact on how fast and how strong they might be able to grow. And ultimately, no matter the surroundings of the Christian. We all have a responsibility to grow and mature in Christ regardless of congregational strength or even congregational discouragement. I want you to uh, read with me in Revelation 3 verse 4. This is speaking to the church in Sardis. And it says there, remember Sardis, they had a name that they were living and they were actually dead. 
In verse 4 it says, You have a few names even in Sardis who have not defiled their garments and they shall walk with me in white for they are worthy. The Christians in Sardis were faithful despite a congregation around them that was dead. Now do you suppose tonight in the world of speculation that they might have been more encouraged or perhaps healthier Christians in a congregation that wasn't dead? I'd venture to say so. Because even though we have a responsibility to grow in harsh conditions, our environments can be a help in that growth or something that we have to grow in spite of. Even the Hebrew writer shows that in a congregation, we need to strive to be the type of environment that helps, that heals, that allows our brethren to grow rather than a burden and an obstacle to be overcome. And that starts with you. That starts with me. It starts with the individual helping to be a positive part of that environment. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, we know verse 25, and verse 25 is spectacular but verse 24 coupled with it I think makes it all that much more powerful where it says and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching in the end we are each responsible for ourselves and our own actions yes we are Often there are brethren who blame their environment on every wrong in their lives and the excuse as to why they aren't as strong and faithful as they need to be. And that isn't right. These are Christians who go to church and they count on everyone else to give the encouragement. But no, no, oh, also, you have to provide the answers too. I don't have a whole lot of answers. Uh, so everybody else is going to have to provide that for me. And also, could you give me the direction that I need to go in my life? And also, can you set the mood for how I'm going to behave for the rest of the week? But for a moment, when it comes to a causality effect, how many Christians have suffered because they gave of themselves, but they weren't in a loving or caring environment that ever returned, at a place that wasn't concerned with exhortation on the daily, as is described in Hebrews 3 and verse uh, 13. That wasn't challenging them to study or fight temptation or into stirring each other up unto love and good works. How many congregational environments exist that suck the life out of Christians who attend there that could have grown so much further than they have because of individual Christians in them who are lazy, who are dull of hearing, much like the Hebrew brethren. Now, there may be someone in the audience tonight and say, oh, finally, someone said it. I go to the congregation with the worst environment. No one encourages me ever. No one does anything nice for me. What's environments made of? Brother Matthew talked about it tonight. They're made of individuals. So the real question is, what have you been doing? Who have you called this week? Who have you went and visited this week? Who did you invite for a Bible study? Who did you invite into your home for hospitality? Not just this week, but look back at this year. Look back two years if you want. The environment starts with the individual. It starts with me. And it starts with you. And it can be an uh, a factor as to our spiritual growth, both what you do with it and what you do for it. But also, number three, let's talk about prior knowledge. In my opinion, this is the most condemning evidence against the Hebrew brethren, perhaps the very thing the writer had in mind when issuing this rebuke. And when we're talking about maturity and growth, we should take into consideration where people start their Christian journey. 
People start their Christian journey at different places with different levels of understanding. And for the sake of illustration tonight, I don't have a, a board or anything, but we're going to use the width of this pulpit right here. And don't worry, this is to scale. So we're going to say here that this is the, uh, the lowest of the low amount of spiritual understanding that you can have. And over here is primo understanding of spiritual things. There are some people that start their journey about right here. They don't know a whole lot. They know that Jesus is the Son of God. They know that the church exists and that they need to be going to it. But beyond that, they don't know a whole lot. And so it's going to take them time to work and mature and learn and understand. And maybe they get to right here after some time and they should be happy about that. But then there's other folks. And these are uh, perhaps people who grew up going to church. Often we say they grew up in the church. I think that's a, uh, a misnomer, and I think that's vocabulary we ought to change. Nobody grows up in the church. You become a part of the church when you obey the gospel. There are people who grow up being brought to church. They had good Christian homes. Perhaps they had Bible studies with their family, and maybe they start with their understanding about right here. But in all that time, they've moved from right here approximately all the way about right here. Haven't really gone very far. And often it's this Christian right here that looks at the one that has had to bite and claw their way all the way up to here with their understanding. And they say, why aren't you at my level yet? Why haven't you pulled yourself up to where I'm at? Why can't you grow any more than you are? I'm so disappointed in these brethren. They never grow. There are some folks that are like that. While at the same time they have not grown nearly as much as the Christian with little prior knowledge, relatively speaking. And I believe this is the exact situation that Paul was addressing in his letter to the Romans. And I believe this plays a part in this rebuke because in Romans chapter 3, verse 1, it says, What advantage then has the Jew, or what is the prophet of circumcision, much in every way, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God? The Hebrew brethren had an incredible advantage, and yet despite their advantage of having the scriptures, of prior spiritual knowledge, they had not grown at all. Instead, they needed to be taught again the first principles of the oracles of God because of their laziness of hearing. And it's my opinion that many of the problems in the church today happen because of this exact same reason. Brethren and sisters who have had incredible spiritual advantages that have been wasted because of laziness that are still struggling with those first principles. You rarely hear problems in the church over things in the Bible that are actually difficult, that are actually meaty issues. You know what we have problems with? We have problems with faith and faith in the face of adversity. We have problems with repentance. We have problems many times with love and forgiveness. And these are things that we should know because they are the undergirding, they are the bedrock for the entire Christian faith and every belief that we hold dear. And if we have advantages in our level of spiritual access, that should not be a reason or an excuse to not grow as strong as we possibly can. It should not be an excuse to not expect the same rate of growth out of ourselves as the one who had little to none. And just because you have more knowledge and maturity in Christ than the visitor who comes in off the street is not a reason to sit on your laurels. It wasn't for the Hebrews and it shouldn't be for us. But lastly, let's talk about dedication and good habits. These are factors. And our spiritual maturity will vary greatly depending very much on ourselves and on the level of effort that I, that you, that we put forth. Low effort Christians will not reach their potential. That's plain and simple. It won't happen. 
And they rightly should be, rebu uh, be rebuked for their laziness. And nearly all of our expectations surround this point. Not all. And it doesn't mean growth is a lost cause. But without the fire in the soul of each individual to be better today than they were the day before, they aren't meeting the Lord's expectations for growth. We find in Hebrews 5 verse 14 that it is by reason of use that we exercise our senses to discern good and evil. And as cliche as it might sound, as worn out as it might be, we got to get into the word of God. That includes daily reading. But it's not just reading. I believe it actually means study too. 2 Timothy 2.15 in the King James it says study that first word. And New King James says be diligent to show yourself approved unto God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And I fear sometimes we talk about Bible reading and we say it's a good idea. It's a good thing to get into. Of course it is. But we talk about it as if your life is just going to be suddenly altered on a fundamental level by just sitting down and reading genealogies for half an hour. And it's not. And that's not what the Lord expects out of a growing Christian. Growth comes when we are studying the Word of God, when we are connecting the dots, putting people and places together, seeing patterns in Scripture, using proper rules of interpretation and hermeneutics, exercising our senses by reason of use to discern both good and evil. Does that describe your study habits? Not just your reading habits, but your study habits. And to conclude, I want you to ask yourself this. Before I break the pulpit, since the moment I was baptized, when you look back on that wonderful day when your sins were washed away and you ro uh, rose to walk in newness of life, have I grown beyond who I used to be? When I look back on my past, can I look back at the person I was and say, I'm glad I'm not that guy anymore because I've grown beyond him? Do you see yourself handling situations differently than you used to because of time that has elapsed, uh, the environment that you're in, or the study that you have put forth growing upon that prior knowledge that you have had? Are there deficiencies that you see in yourself that you're going to determine to make better in this year to come? What are the expectations that you have placed upon yourself for Christian maturation? Or are you much like the Hebrew brethren seem to have been, lazy, sluggish, and content to regress into Christian infancy? 2 Peter 3 verse 18 tells us to grow, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.